With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus the world of work has changed dramatically and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast, everybody. I'm Lee, and over there is... I'm Josh. And here we are, a little bit late, but still here. Still producing every week. Slightly different, yeah. slightly different tack this episode, because we have been watching documentaries and laughing at them. We decided to <laughs> change tack this week and laugh at Gloucester for nearly an hour instead. No, not quite, but what we no, are going to do... <laughs> What we are going to do is, it's one of our Rugby Seven episodes, we've done them before, Uh, just to be clear, it's not actually about Sevens, as somebody got a bit vexated about on the the Twitter, there's no way I would talk about Rugby Sevens for 10 minutes, never mind a full episode, because I I, I like, people who like it's fine, I just can't get into it myself, so um, so yeah, so it's a Rugby Seven episode, and we're we're going to look at seven nearly teams. Yes. And this is a, a, the definition of nearly is, is, I mean, as we will get into, depends on mm. kind of what your, you know, what you define as a nearly team. But they are teams that have, for one way or another, come close or fallen short from what well, perhaps they were capable of or what they yeah. could have done. Well, they've certainly done it often enough for it to be noteworthy in the memory. So that's yes. what we're going to be talking about. So if you want to get in touch with us, and some of you already have about this, we are, I am, at Blood and Mud, or Lee at bloodandmud.com, and Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner. Ta-da. 
I do I do love how after this is episode one nine one that you still sound slightly surprised when I asked you to say how people should get in touch with you. Yeah. So um we are on ACAST, yeah. we are on all of that. We're on patreon.com slash blood and mud for all you lovely people who support us. The VIP lounge is still open for those you want to give a of bit course. of extra and get named on here. And I'd like to thank Benjamin Brace who signed up this week. And has actually gone over and above the call of duty with his contribution because oh, that's how lovely a man he is in these in these dark times. So thank you very much, Ben. Indeed. So Josh, you know, sometimes me and you, right, and this game yeah. of rugby, we've struggled to stay in love with it. Sometimes, haven't we? Yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes rugby is a hard game to make itself. You know, it, it makes itself hard for yeah, a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, the red trousers, the unironic use of the word banter, everything about Haskell, <laughs> mid-game, mid-half yeah. touchline interviews. Yeah. Rugby Union's history so, of always, without fail, being the always, baddies. Always back in the, the evil horse. <laughs> yes. But now, you know, Josh, I we we now understand this week why this game of rugby has held us in. For all this time, yeah. because somebody or something somewhere knew that there was something coming and that destiny would lead us to this momentous time that's happened this week when Ellis Genge has basically become the shop steward <laughs> for all of English rugby union. He is basically, I mean, what is there's nothing to not love about Ellis Genge, he's great, but I love him even more for the fact that he has brought the mindset of a chippy working class boy from Knoll <laughs> to the public school realm of rugby union and is going, this is fucking bullshit, lads. What's interesting is one of his most vocal supporters on Twitter is another lad who comes from a not typical background is Carl Ferns, the scouser. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like all the people who haven't come through that particular kind of rugby in England private school yeah thing and looking at this and going what the fuck this Was is it Carl first said last week I don't blame him because if you look at some of the injury clauses the RPA have signed off on they're absolutely disgraceful yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. love the fact and, that and Ellis is sat there probably fuming they got these fuckers they go in there they have some fucking pims together <laughs> all shake hands they're too cosy you're telling your lads they're too bloody cosy <laughs> I mean, he's got a fucking point. And it was interesting when the, the sort of rumours of a breakaway, you know, before Genge was attached, of a breakaway union kind of happened. And it did sort of make you go, oh, yeah, well, I mean, basically everybody started, when everyone started talking about how the way that rugby was going to get itself out of this financial mess was, oh, well, we're going to have to cut player salaries. And the players' union said... Fucking nothing about that. <laughs> but as you said, Instead of going, we'll see you in fucking court then, yeah. pal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I did wonder at the time, I was just like, is somebody going to make... And it turns out Ellis Genge is somebody that's going to go, um, you know, this union that's supposed to be representing us, maybe they should at least have a say in <laughs> whether we should all be paying less money to put our bodies on the line. It, does it... It could, can it could it only be somebody like Ellis Genju would do this? He comes one completely well, not completely, but from the outside of the typical catchment, and two, mm. he doesn't really give a fuck. 
It's a lovely combination, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Like... I'm not quite like you, and I also don't really give a fuck about that and <laughs> pointed that out to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I am absolutely have no interest in fitting in with you lot. <laughs> So, I can imagine coming up from his first negotiation, like he did for that Daily Mail interview, where he turned up with the hood, with the with the with the glasses in the hood. I can for absolutely no reason imagine other that. than having yeah. it on. It's like, how do yeah. you negotiate with this? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's 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 just like how how refreshing is it though to have somebody just coming out and just being like, yeah, fuck it. I think we should have an independent union that isn't bought and paid for by the RFU and the PRL because that makes sense to me because we had some, we realised that they weren't giving us very good fucking guidance about this whole salary fucking cut thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, like if that's the level of it where the RPA is just going, oh, well, the RFU and the PRL think that you should take a 15% pay cut or a 25% pay cut, lads, so you better crack on. If that's the level of it, then fucking right they need a new union. I do but, love the the idea that you know Genj is raging against whatever the rugby version of a centrist dad is to create a sort of <laughs> to, to create a sort of more left wing union. Of course, the idea of the RPA are in any way left wing is is obviously a a very loud and howling joke. Ridiculous. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's that thing when you watch the, if you watch Ken Burns's baseball, which I recommend you all do all of it. There's huge sections on it about how when it finally organised and how the owners fucking hated. The guy, the first, I can't remember his name now, but the first guy they brought in to head up the union, he'd come in like literally from the International Fucking Car Workers Union or something. And they were like, he knows anything about baseball. And he was just like, you've National, all been taken out. National Association of Teamsters. Yeah, basically, yeah. you've all had the piss taken out of you for about 50 fucking years, and I'm going to sort it for you. Um, and he makes a very good quote, and he says about people see misunderstand the reason why baseball had a bad time. People misunderstand what exploitation means. It doesn't mean that you have to be poor and being beaten up. It means that you're not getting the worth that you should, or people are, t- are chipping yeah. away at that worth without justification yeah. or correct process. Yeah. And, and actually, the most terrifying words that any sports administrator can ever hear, and which I powerfully, powerfully hope come out of this new fucking fancy independent union, there's two words revenue sharing. <laughs> because. Those are the words that strike fear into the heart of the fucking billionaire NFL owners whenever any fucking player and baseball and and basketball owners because the players over there have started to realise that there is no fucking product without the players. And if they're getting massive fucking billion quid TV deals, which, let's face it, what was the last BT Sport deal with? Premiership rugby. It was. It was enough. It was in it? the hundred. It was in the hundreds of millions, if memory serves. Um, and the players are entirely entitled <laughs> to ask, "What percentage of that is ours, then?" And it's not. <laughs> this is going to be fucking. <laughs> and it's going to be fucking hilarious. And I mean, it's not going to be fun when there's massive labour stoppages, and. <laughs> The owners are locking players out. Oh, what? Fucking hell. But, yeah, we'll just get back onto me. it after the Rona, and then there'll be a massive <laughs> labour shortage led by Ellis Genge, massive banner. <laughs> like the fucking Durham Miners March. I, I, you know, I've said so many times that, you know, I think that rugby players should get every fucking penny that they can because they're throwing their bodies down the fucking shitter 
for not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, the problem is that rugby is not the NFL in that rugby is broadly broke. (laughs) However, (laughs) I would like to see from a a sort of union level, at a club level, an organizational level, it would be fun for them to have to open their books up, some sort of independent labor and all that and go, well, where's all your fucking money going then? You wouldn't need all that nonsense salary cap stuff, would you? If you just had this nice revenue sharing agreement, that would probably be enough for everybody, wouldn't it? So, yeah. And like, if, if if you know players say that they want, you know, uh, you know, forty percent of the the revenue, which is you know fair given how much they're fucking, you know, they're sacrificing themselves in salary, you know, that it doesn't matter how it's fucking spent if it's forty percent of the revenue. And it kind of it kind of works because it's like, well, if the revenue goes down, then everybody will lose money. And if revenue goes up, everybody will get more money. Everybody's kind invested of... in the product. Exactly. It's it's equitable, you could even say. To talk about it from a Marxist yeah. point of view, they will not be alienated from the products of their labour. Exactly. Because I think yeah. this is the way we should go. I reckon that basically if Genji so... turns out to be a Marxist, <laughs> I, don't say, I don't necessarily agree with Marxism, <laughs> but imagine how fucking funny it would be. I mean, it would be absolutely hilarious if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there were breakaway Marxist rugby clubs founded by players. Where... Well, it's again started to talk about surplus value and things like that. It'd be fucking glorious. <laughs> oh, rugby players have nothing to lose but their chains. Yeah. But I tell you what, though, in all seriousness, when, when you did hear, you know, there's this talk of a breakaway union, and I thought... All right, that's interesting. And of course, when they said, and it's Genge, it's like, of course it was fucking Genge. Who else is it going to be? This is amazing. Yeah, so (laughs) we'll see how it goes. I mean, the question is, you see, you know, to have a movement, you've got to have at least one follower, haven't you? So I wonder how many people are going with him. Yeah, I I think when it becomes, the, the, the only thing that makes me think that he has a chance of setting this up is that, you know, even... You know, posh lads from public schools don't like being told that they've got to take less money for no apparent reason. <laughs> and like that's that's something they can all get behind. Everybody likes to have more money, and particularly if he the most sensible thing that he can do is focus his attention on not the fucking megastars, because they're fine and they're sort of establishment. But you want to target the fucking mid level pros. And say, if we can get this together, then we can raise the fucking floor for everybody. Because the guys at the bottom are the guys that are struggling. The guys that are on the fucking, you know, 35, 40 grand a year or whatever. That's not a lot to when your career's over at 30, if you're lucky. And anyway, what have the RPA been doing? We're not being funny, but that Christian Day, who was the second rower for Northampton, he works at the RPA. He's been on fucking MasterChef for about six months. He's on fucking MasterChef. He's not out there representing his fucking members, is he? He's too busy doing fucking microherbs and spherifying shit to be out there fighting the good fight. Because I saw the dishes he was making, they were so fucking technically ridiculous, it, they were taking him hours. There's no way he wasn't pulling a fucking sky in the afternoon to get that done. <laughs> I haven't actually watched any of the series of MasterChef, and I, I, it, I should watch it purely for that. I've seen pictures of Christian Day's food and just been like... One for Christian out. Day, and two, as I mentioned the other week, you have to watch it just for the guy from the Valleys. He had a zip-up polo, yeah. zip polo shirt on. 
because of the perfect <laughs> vignette. One of those. Where do you even get one of those? <laughs> yeah, in of course, Sports Direct. I imagine. I don't. Ah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Come off it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I cannot wait to see how this unfolds, and I hope that it gathers yeah. shit loads of momentum and causes loads of trouble. Yeah, basically. Ultimately, it's a it's a new world when all this is over. We've basically started day one again for society. So why not just fucking tear some shit? Up why not have again? Ellis Genge as the king of everyone? Fucking right. Why not? <laughs> anyway, uh, we start by lionising Ellis Genge and his uh, and his ethical yes. approach to industrial relations. But we also start with a player spotted Lewis emails. Directly on the email, straight to me inbox, this one was. He says, I have a player spotted from about five years ago. Nothing exciting happens, and I can remember some pointless details, which should be perfect for your segment. Yes. Brilliant. He says, my then-girlfriend, now wife, and I were in the process of moving house from South Belfast to the other end of the city. My dad and stepmom have been helping us run carloads of boxes and various crap to the new house for most of the morning. On the last trip, which is just to pick up the dog, we're stopped in traffic outside the Europa Hotel in the city centre, when my dad points and says, hey, there's Joe. Walking past the car are the then island coaching team of Joe Schmidt, Simon Easterby and Les Kiss. All three are walking purposely towards the hotel entrance. Joe looks towards us and would have seen a little gold Rover 25 with four people inside. Christ, how old is that car, Lewis? A Rover 25? Jesus. Stop making that. A little gold Rover 25 with four people inside craning necks and staring at him. My stepmom in the front passenger seat is grinning and waving. I'm sat behind her with a three-month-old border collie on my lap, both me and the dog staring at him. Les and Simon glance over but quickly look away. They're all still walking. No one seems to be talking. Joe is still glaring at us. Had the look of trying to work out if it's a hard sum in his head. It was probably only about ten seconds, but it felt longer. I was a little embarrassed of my stepmom still grinning and waving out the window and felt like I should do something cooler, like a thumbs up. But in the moment, all I could think I could all I could think to do was to lift up lift up the dog's paw and do a little doggy wave to him. <laughs> <laughs> he oh, says once again lovely. Joe just stared at me. The lights ahead changed and we eventually carried away the dog, still puppet waving on my lap, and my dad still trying to remember Simon Easterby's name. He said, maybe if we had a cat, it'd have been a different reaction. It'd have been a different reaction from you, Josh, because you're, you're all over the cat, aren't you? I love a cat, me. Yeah. But the, I do like on. that. Make... The idea of a, a little border collie did a little poor wave at Joe wave. Smith in the middle of Belfast. I'm a Rover 25. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've just done some research while you're saying that. Uh, the Rover 25, previously known as the Rover 200, of course, uh, was built between, uh, well, as the rover as the rover 200 it started in 1984 but the uh, yeah. the rover 25 from 1999 to uh 2005 when it was rebranded as the mg3 sw or the mgzr sorry oh i remember that yeah yeah um so yeah yeah that's that's at least a a 15 year old car at respect. least respect Play, Maybe that's why he was looking that's... staring so quick he said when did i last see one of those cars josh Smith was exactly thinking. yeah it's like when you see, like, there's a guy around here who just drives a Sierra, right? Brilliant. When was the last time you saw a fucking Sierra on the road? And it's like proper, you know, before they change the number plates and everything level. 
Did you old. go through a period still going. as a young teenage man being sort of into cars or the idea of cars? Yes, Most lads yeah, do, yeah. don't they? I didn't. Yeah. Um, but I do remember the, the visceral excitement at the idea of a Sierra Cosworth. Cosworth. <laughs> there was always a Sierra Cosworth. Yeah, yeah. There was also a Lotus. Vauxhall made a Lotus Carlton. A Vauxhall Carlton was a Lotus yes, one. It did, didn't they? Yeah. It's these like ridiculous family cars with gigantic fucking <laughs> engines in them. <laughs> yeah, my dad momentarily owned like an Escort Cosworth. Really? For literally about a week. For literally Didn't about you a work week. work in the tax and office then... in Aberdare. That's a very sexy car for a tax office man. Yeah, my dad. I think the reason that I was momentarily into cars is my dad's always a bit of a fucking petrol lad, but right. like absolutely passed me by entirely. I don't give a fuck. I've got a punter and a focus. Oh, I don't and care. Neither no. of them are no. fast. I've got a... neither, neither of them are fast and I don't care. I've got a I've got a, a four five year old polo. You see I like friends of mine buy cars and I said, well, how much does that cost you every month? And it's like a fucking it's always always a big four before fucking thing, isn't it? BMW mm. or something. They said six hundred quid a month. I said, right, let me work that out. Six hundred quid a month for me. Let me in my money, right? Six hundred quid a month is a Les Paul every. That's four Les Pauls a year. Yeah, that's what I could buy and with that money. Yeah, and that's why I I'll never buy a new car. And <laughs> I, I I find the price of new when I see how much new cars like a new Fiesta, how much it costs. A new Fiesta is like twelve grand off the forecourt, and I'm just thinking, who's fucking buying this? Who's spending forty grand on a car or something? I don't. Ridiculous. I don't know who these people are. It's the greatest racket since static caravans. <laughs> Agreed. My granddad had a static Terrible. caravan, right, in Blackpool. Yeah. I must have told you this before. Mm. He had a static caravan. Oh, yeah. he, he paid. Th- he, my granddad was a miner from Lancashire, so when he retired and got his mm. big payout, and then he got his mm. even bigger payout because he found dust in his lungs, and he went, "Oh, we'll Classic. give you twenty-five yeah. years of back pay," you know, um, back sick pay. His dream was to buy a static caravan in Blackpool. Fair enough, that was his dream, right? But of course, he paid about 30 grand for it. It's worth about 15 quid within four months because of the depreciation on it. And that that's bad enough for itself. But then you have to sign to live. You get this contract to sign on these campsites and you, you effectively, and you've got to pay three grand a year. And looking at it, you effectively pay three grand to live in a police state. <laughs> Because they could do anything I, to you. You have no rights. You yeah. have to buy things off them. If they don't like you, they can turf you off. They can just introduce arbitrary rules with no rights of appeal at any point. And you pay for that privilege. Unbelievable. My old man's got a holiday chalet down in Carmarthen that is the same sketch where he paid like 15 grand for the chalet that he's then had to spend about fucking six grand to do up and make nice. And, and you can only use three you, can, grand. you can only use the camp's labourers, which are four times yeah. more expensive than everybody else. Yeah. When the when the van becomes five years old, you have to buy a new one and you have to buy it off them. And they'll only give you ten percent of the value of the existing caravan. Honest to God, how the hell this is not more of a disgrace? It's just basically Honestly, absolutely absolute fucking disgrace. Dredging the fucking life of the life's work out of working class people, and they willingly do yeah. it. Yeah. Everything Happily they've worked so. off, worked for, just gets completely yeah. stripped yeah. off by well, spends these three bastards. grand a year on a holiday park in Carmarthenshire. That is literally he lives in Glenith. It's like an hour from his house. 
<laughs> fuck it. I told him just fucking buy a house down there. Sell your house and well, your stupid chalet. That's your Put the thing. two together, and buy he, a fucking house. And he had, we said, Grandad, when he was about to say, what have you thought about maybe just getting a little cottage in Poulton, which is on the River Wire, which is just outside Blackpool where he had it? Oh, no, no, I did that. Of course, that would now be worth about... 77 times what he paid for it, wouldn't it? And he could make some... Well, he's dead now, bless him, but he can make yeah. some choices with it. I mean, answer alive. I mean, Anne could maybe sell it and live in a life of fucking luxury or move into it or whatever. <laughs> but instead, yeah. no. The entire system is set up to completely extract money from people who've worked all yeah. their fucking lives. And you can't even go... I don't know what... It, but you can't even fucking go to my... My dad's holiday park is closed between oh, yes. fucking December and March. So three months of the year where it's just a complete fucking waste of time. If you don't shut your van Mental. down, you're fucking off. And the thing is, my granddad, <laughs> my granddad was quite a character and at times a disagreeable man. So he got kicked off three caravan sites for telling people exactly what he thought in the bar. <laughs> What's the logistics of that? Do you then have to just take your caravan and fuck off? Well, no, you'd leave the caravan. Again, there's a clause that the caravan stays there. And you effectively sell it back to the camp mental. and lose a fuckload of money. Mental. And then we'd rather just move to the next one along. When he Absolutely increasingly started insane. to piss people off there as well. God, I miss him. The mad I'd get. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, where yes. were we? Fantastic player spotted, uh, Lewis. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. This all started um, from a Rover 25 and the cost of cars. It did. Speaking of uh, interactions with readers... Readers, fucking hell, I'm still in my day job brain here. Um, listeners, yes. I should say. Um, I I did something impulsive this week in that um, I happened across Welsh Scrum Off Alid Davis's Instagram story as I was mindlessly scrolling on Monday night. Well, it sounds exciting, um, come on. And he was just like, oh, cheers for the excellent service as always. A... Um, Equip for gyms, which for some reason I clicked, and he'd basically been delivered a load of fucking things that rugby players need to stay buff in this time. Yeah, and I weirdly just clicked on the link and was like, "Oh, they do like refurbished gym equipment." I've always fancied a tidy fucking exercise bike, and now, and also it's pissing down outside, so I can't go out and exercise. I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna buy a fucking used exercise bike from a gym, like a weirdo, which I did. Um, and then Tuesday morning, I'm sitting down. I'm, I'm just getting ready for work. I'm just having my cup of tea, and my phone goes. And I was like, "Oh, hello!" It's it's. it's I'm really, I completely missed his name because I was slightly baffled because I had a very strong Welsh accent on the end of my phone from a number I didn't recognise, asking me if I bought an exercise mm. bike. I was like, "Yes," and he was like, "You're the same Josh Gardner who does the Blood and Mud Rugby podcast." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I am." Um, so I'm really sorry that I missed your name, whoever you were at equip for gyms, equip for gyms.co.uk, but fucking fantastic service. Lovely bloke had a nice little chat, told us about how he likes listening to his podcast when he's out doing sort of deliveries and all that stuff. So hello to you. Thank you for your fucking lovely service. And uh, yeah, it's always, it's weird and nice, isn't it? It is very nice. When you encounter somebody totally at random that is in our weird little club. And we're not being paid to be equipped for gyms either. We're just saying absolutely not. No. He's a lovely yeah. guy, it would seem. Yeah, and he's and if you and if you're interested, if you if you know we're in fucking lockdown right now. If you're feeling like you need some exercise equipment, you proper know, stuff, proper, proper, proper gym, proper stuff. reconditioned, proper shit. None of this nonsense you buy from Amazon. 
you know, maybe maybe swing by, maybe hit him up. Very, you know, nice I'm p- apparently getting my thing by Friday. Glorious. Which, given given that I ordered it on Monday and we're in the middle of a fucking quarantine lockdown fiasco, it's pretty fucking good. Fair play. Fair dues. I found myself in lockdown becoming obsessively watching woodworking videos on YouTube. <laughs> and I can feel myself I... brewing up to buy tools that I will never use. <laughs> Do you know what I've become weirdly preoccupied with? Like... You know, there's sort of, uh, and it's something that it started out as I obviously got a targeted like video on Facebook of like somebody making something absurd using like resin, yes. like pouring resin into stuff. <laughs> and because I've watched one of them, I now get loads of them and I just watch them all the time. <laughs> I watch somebody making a fucking strangely a weird satisfying ta- a weird table out of resin and some odd bits of wood and it's like why am I, why am I watching this? Why do I find but there's just something about it. Come back rugby weird. please for the love of god come yes, back. Love of god. Look what he's doing to us. The world of work has changed dramatically and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfit School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfitschool.ie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. You have one new message. Hi Claire, Auntie Dee here. I just wanted to say a big thank you for skipping my party. We had a great night, and everyone was so happy you didn't come. Now you take care. I hope to see you soon. Bye. No one will thank you for turning up to work or anything else when you're sick. Stay at home and get a test to protect yourself and others from COVID-19. From the HSE, for us all. Right, then, should we do a rugby seven? Because we're quite deep yeah, into this already, that. aren't we? Yeah. Now, we talked about nearly teams. Now, we tried to, we, well, let's do this first. How do we define a nearly team? I suppose teams that never quite get there or never quite achieve. Yeah, or never do quite what they, or at least kind of struggled for a while before they really got there. And certainly struggled enough for it to be in the memory of us and some of the people who kindly nominated, because I did throw this question out there without saying yes. this is what we were doing. And a few people did nominate some stuff after I'd kind of primed us on it. So let's go through. We've got seven. Now, I must stress, we're not saying this is the only seven nearly teams or oh, even the best no. or worst seven nearly teams. These are just teams that one, we thought of, and two, you volunteered, and we thought we'll have a chat about them. No doubt yeah. a lot of you will come back and go, oh, you forgot about them, or what about them, or what about that? Fine. I hope let's it helps. Yeah, I hope it promotes conversation within you, with you, Indeed. With you all. That's all it is. Embrace the debate. Now then, let's start with, um, this was my nomination, let's start with London Irish in 2008 and 2009, or in fact around that whole yes. period, but specifically 2008 and 9, because that was kind of the, the time they did the, the when best. When they got to the Premiership final, they yeah. The premiership and final. the Heineken final in the, sem- in the same year. The Challenge final. Uh, yeah. And like, and that, these were the heady days when you could have two Welsh teams in Heineken Cup quarterfinals and there would not be a parade. So it does feel like a very long time ago, you know? Um, so a bit of backstory. Brian Smith had been manager, coach of mm. London Irish and they'd been mid-table-ish for a little while, fairly solidly in the Premiership. Brian Smith in 2008 went off to work for England. He did, As yes. a backs coach. That worked out well. Um, Fantastic. Loads of creativity in that period <laughs> from 2008 yeah. to 2012. 
Um, uh, probably a, a peak of England's attacking potency, if memory serves. So Toby Booth takes over as head coach in 2008, mm-hmm. having been an assistant coach under Smith. And had worked quite a lot with the academy as well. He worked with the academy, that's right. Um, mm. But he, I think, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this was his first head coach job. And in his it first was, yeah. year, he takes them to, I think they finished third in the league, and he takes them to the Premiership final. Yeah. And yet they'll never get within spitting distance of any kind of final again until the modern era, really, you know. Like Toby Booth, I mean, as an Ospreys fan, it could cause me to make the joke that, you know, you know, he's he's always the nearly man in all this because, like, when you think about Toby Booth, Toby Booth was involved with Bath when they mm. nearly got to, the, when they nearly won the Premiership later on, which we'll talk about we'll later talk about as later, well. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I could make a joke about it, but as an Ospreys fan, you know, the reality is if Toby Booth somehow turned the Ospreys into perennial nearly people who <laughs> lost fucking domestic and European finals, he'd have a parade all of his fucking own. Winning is relative, league. isn't it? In Swansea, <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. And I suppose the instinct to look back, at, let's just talk about this final. Leicester won 10-9. Leicester won, of course, they fucking won. It was the 2000s. Yeah, Leicester won. Um, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. They that, won yeah. ten fucking nine. They narrowly won. Of course, they did. Here's mm. the teams that played on the 16th of May 2009. By the way, in front of 81,000 people, refereed by Wayne Barnes. Um, Leicester Tigers were Jordan Murphy, Scott Hamilton. Do you remember him, babyface with oh, curly hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The midfield partnership <laughs> of Eula Ridley and Dan Hipkiss is uh, in the middle. Um, left wing Johnny Murphy. Scrum half Julian Dupuis and Sam Vesey. Julian Dupuis, whose hair best looked charcoal candy floss. The charcoal <laughs> candy floss <laughs> mullet. Yeah, it had a weird sort of gravity about it. In, in, or lack <laughs> Plenty of gravity, volume, but say. not much. Just sort of, yeah, thickness, yeah. Very it, odd. Anyway, Julian Dupuis and Sam Vesty at 10. Sam Vesty was talked about as an England guy for a while, didn't quite happen. And then the pack yeah, was, was the pack was Marcus Ayerza, George Shooter, Julian White, who's still knocking around at this point. Tom Croft at lock with Ben Kay. Craig yeah. Newby, Ben Woods, and Jordan Crane, who is now at London Irish, I believe. Uh, didn't Jordan Crane at Bristol? Still? Is he at Bristol now? Did he go yeah, to London I, can't I can't remember. Anyway, the the London yeah. Irish team which got to the final, which was the kind of core of what was good about them for this period. Really. Yeah. Peter Hewitt at fullback. Adam Thompson, outside centre Dellen Armitage, inside centre Salala Mapasua, Taji Thakimbao on the weekend, who I'd forgotten even played there, by the way. Um, <laughs> number nine, nine and ten was Paul Hodgson and Mike Catt. And then into the pack, you got Clark Dermody, Danny Cutsey, Richard Scoos, James Hudson, Bob Casey, who I think was about 47 then, um, <laughs> Declan Danaher, Stefan Armitage, and Chris Halliofia. On the bench, just I'm not going to go through the whole bench, but on the bench was Alex Cabissiero as yeah. a young kid, you know, coming through. And Tom Homer was on the bench. Yeah, I noticed that. You see, this, the, the Irish team that made it to the final were an interesting blend of the Brian Smith era, which was the vinegar strokes of fucking Mike Catt and Paul Hodgson and Peter Richards and a boatload of fucking hard-as-fuck Polynesian lads. <laughs> and then it was these these new players, these exciting new players that Booth had nurtured through the academy. Like you said, the Armitages, Corbusiero, Nick Kennedy was coming through. Mm. Thompson was coming through. Topsiojo was just 47 years old at this point. <laughs> so, you know, 
<laughs> Speaking of 47-year-olds, did you know that Mapasu is still playing? No. Is he a, is it Japan? He's 40, he's 40 and he's still <laughs> playing. Good man. Um, yeah, so they lose it 10-9. Yeah. Thanks. Classic. It was Leicester in the two thousand. They they did the, they were doing the that Leicester thing where they suddenly sort of they paid did attention not know to how to lose. Yeah, they would look shite for half a season and then go, all right, should we get into the playoffs, boys? Yeah, all right, and then just win it because. But yeah, it was an interesting thing because obviously Booth left a couple of years later to go and um. So did he go to Worcester or did he go to Bath? Went he to went. Bath. I know he ended he up at Bath. To, he went yeah. to go be the forwards coach at Bath. Mm. under Gary Gold and um of course he did yeah yeah and the weird thing was is that they finished sort of fifth sixth fifth sixth then third and in a final in 2009 and then they then they finished when Toby Booth continued again sort of sixth seventh sixth seventh he leaves in 2012 and they almost immediately become relegation candidates it all becomes a bit of a battle from yeah. now on in and then of course they they went down in 2016 nobody well I sorry nobody I and I'm assuming that everyone thinks like me obviously I never imagined he would not be a head coach again. <clears throat> yeah, and it's because his record was taken, definitely good enough. Yeah, and it's taken this and it's taken this long. You know, he's now head coach. Well, he's soon to be head coach of the Ospreys, but it's taken. You know, this was twelve years ago. He was still you know? relatively young, though. I think he was probably only. Yeah, his, he, he was probably in his, his mid to late thirties in two thousand and nine. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's only. Let's have a look, actually, but like. I reckon he's about 50 now, is he? Yeah, he's 50 on the fucking dot. So, yeah, he was he was a young head coach there. And, yeah, oh, oh he's a, um, he was at Bath and now he's currently at Harlequins as an assistant coach um, under Gustard. And now he's he's joining the Ospreys for next season. I wonder, um, if he, I wonder if he, I don't know, but I wonder if he did actually, I'd like to ask him, I suppose. I wonder if he did it and thought, I need to actually go and get some more experience under somebody else because I need to learn some more before I'm back in this position. But I mean, he can't, yeah. you know, he did a, he did a full four years at the Yeah, at the it's interesting job. that he went as, you know, he went to, you know, he left London Irish to go to Bath to work under Gary Gold. Gary Gold, obviously very experienced head coach. Hmm. I want, you wonder if, Oh, that was it. Yeah, Brian Smith came back, didn't he, as director of rugby at, um, at Irish, didn't he, in right. uh, 2012? Okay. And then Booth sort of went, not really up for re-establishing this Can it, Can't go back. Dynamic. You can't go yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, as you but say... But I wonder if he's, been, he's been offered other head coach jobs since. It's, inter- it's interesting, Because he's certainly got enough it? of a CV to, to warrant yeah. it. You know, taking... And let's not forget, that Irish team was basically like fucking totally strip mined for assets. Yeah, that <laughs> well, is true. You yeah. know, like a lot of those players that we're talking about did not stay there for long or did not, you know, hmm. and that's before you talk about players like Jonathan Joseph going, you know. Yeah, true. Cock and Seager going as well, you know, like obviously came a lot later, but like London Irish has not been brilliant holding on to its talent over Lewington. the last decade. He's gone to Lewington. Lewington, to... yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, I, mean, I suppose you've got to, you know, some people, that's how their economic model works. We stay afloat yeah, yeah. by selling people that we've developed. You know, yeah. it's not, uh, wouldn't be the first thing. So, so they got that's London Irish, 2008-10, a brilliant nearly team. Um, got quite a soft spot for London Irish. My 
Uh, mother-in-law was a big uh, used to go there quite a bit she's irish and lives in london funnily enough so i think there's mm-hmm. a bit of plus they're from west they're from that bit of west london which is where my wife's from so i think i've always got a bit of a link there well southwest london there from actually no wasps are from near from where my wife not now obviously but wasps are from uh, a <laughs> i'm getting mixed up between sudbury and sunbury sunbury mm. is where london irish are from which is southwest london and sudbury is west london where wasps are originally from mm-hmm. anyway Anyway, enough yeah. of my confusion about the different sub- suburban <laughs> west parts of London. Um, what? Do you, who should we talk about next? Do you want to take the big plunge? <laughs> um, can we? I think we should save that for the end. Let's be honest. All right. Go on. Um, <laughs> and speak, while we're on Toby Booth, should we talk about Bath in twenty fourteen fifteen? Which hands up if you forgot Bath made I was it to just a Premiership final. I'm sure Bath fans out there, you haven't forgotten it. Um, no, but I absolutely have forgotten that. It kind of got drowned out by what happened in the autumn of 2015. It basically didn't did, it? didn't it? Like everything, <laughs> because everything went fucking apoplectically wrong with England in the autumn. The, the, what happened in that? that premiership final that year and the premiership in the, it was just got basically forgotten. And it's weird. Like it's, it's weird when you think about it for all the like chronic underachievement that Bath have demonstrated in the last 20, they haven't won the league since 1996. Don't forget. Despite, you know, salary cap bothering lavish expenditure for quite a lot of the recent years and Bruce Craig throwing everything at it. But then they did come in. They came so close to making that, you know, all of that expenditure pay off. When you look at that team on paper that was in the Premiership final that year, like Bruce Craig threw a lot of cash at that (laughs) that team in particular. You just look at it and go, fuck me, that wasn't cheap, over and over again. And... They just had the misfortune of running into a suit like Saracens team that was just about to sort of go into full Death Star is fully operational Saracens. They weren't quite that yet, but they were on the verge of. But look at that back line that they had that year for the final. The battle. Peter Stringer Peter Stringer and George Ford as the halfbacks. Fucking Watson, Banahan and Rocket Dagoonie on the wings. Kyle Eastman and Jonathan Joseph in the midfield. That is fucking box office. <laughs> And it's not like the forwards are shit either. Like, David Wilson, Ross Batty and Paul James, that's a very good front row in 2014-15. And Hooper and Atwood, decent second rows. And that back row, Leroy Houston, decent, big lad. Francois Lowe, world fucking class. And some bloke called Sam Burgess. Now. At six. <laughs> now. <laughs> of course, this is where it comes to it, is it? You don't want to... Full confess, full disclosure, right? This was back in 2014-15. I'd had the blog going since 2007. I was getting a bit fed up of kind of <laughs> plowing this furrow on my own. And I was basically watching rugby highlights and YouTube stuff most weekends to catch up with things. I yeah. signed up for BT Sport the day I knew that Sam Burgess was making his debut for Bath that season. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to have to have a look at this. Uh, being a rugby league fan myself as well. Um, and I remember, I can't remember what the game was. I remember he came on. I remember he came on. It was the weather was shit. He came on and looked fucking freezing. 
He yeah. came on at 12, looked freezing and fed up for most of it, and was probably thinking, what the fuck have I done here? Why and, did I leave Sydney for this? Why did I leave Sydney for this? And also, in rugby league, you can go find the ball, can't you? It's like, I'm going to go get, yeah. make some fucking work for myself and make something happen. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that was that. And then I think he played six in this game, and there was that whole, I don't want to rehearse all of that. But I think it is easy to forget that he was part of a team that made a premiership final that year. Yeah, and let's not forget. But then he played debut... him at 12 after... <laughs> Yeah, his debut against Quinns, and that was 11 months before the Rugby World Cup final was. That was the first game of rugby union he ever fucking played in his life. And as you say, he spent so much of that season playing sixth. And playing it so well, let's not forget that Bath got to a premiership final. Like People who say he was shit in union clearly didn't watch much of that. Remember, Do you remember in the final, he... Sam Burgess, and it's still on, I think it's still on BT's YouTube page hmm. because it's, but the fucking hit that Burgess puts on a full pelt kick returning Billy Vunapola, where <laughs> yes. from a stand, from Burgess from a standing start, not only stops him, but he stands him up and drives him back about six feet. I don't think I've ever seen anyone, like I've seen people stop Billy Vunapola in his tracks, but I haven't seen somebody do it so effortlessly and then drive him back. When he's got a full head of steam up, it's fucking like I'll always remember that hit because it means ooh, the um, fucking hell. We said it before, we it's a it's a weird thing. In a way, his career was ruined by the World Cup being at the end of his first season. Yeah, absolutely. He, however, if the World Cup wasn't at the end of his first season, he probably would never have come. No. So you know what I mean? It's this kind. Of, it was always going to be this way, was it? He wasn't going to sign a five-year contract and not play for England. That's likely or not, that's, that's what he was going to do. But I think the thing is, your point's a good one. If you take that example, and then if, if anybody's interested, if you watch the semi-final between England and New Zealand in the Rugby League World Cup from 2013, I think it was that year, watch Sam Burgess in that game, and mm. one, and then watch him do that Vinopola tackle, and then think what the fuck he could have done. As, well, as, the irony, as, a, as, as a modern six, it would have been unbelievable. Yeah. The irony, of course, is that had he not gone, fuck this, lads, I can't be bothered, and <laughs> gone, gone back to rugby league after the World Cup, imagine how much Eddie Jones would have fucking loved oh. him. Imagine how, given that, given how that fewer caps about, like, oh, gonna, James Askell would have had. <laughs> but like, imagine how, like... Given that Eddie Jones is constantly banging on about fucking versatile athletes who can play loads of positions, like imagine him having access to a player like Sam Burgess that could probably play six, seven, eight, twelve, if he needed to. Yeah, you know, and he would just have a fucking field day with an athlete like that. As would fucking Gustard, as would fucking Borthwick. They would have been pigs in shit. And so is it's. It's quite interesting when you watch him play in this game. Like it is, it, you do think. I wonder if he should have just been a six, and I kind of get that they weren't. Like, it was almost an economic thing. It's like if you're paying him fucking five hundred grand a year or whatever ridiculous amount of money they were paying him, you don't pay you don't pay a fucking six that. You pay a fucking twelve that. You pay you you play a difference maker that. But I think that kind of was underestimated. Six could become the, the, the left tackle of rugby. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's probably a sort of thing of, of we've got to get him in a position that's more, you know, directly involved in the game and isn't just fucking getting his hands dirty. But the reality is that, like, a player of his ability 
in the back row in that position could have been game-changing for England. But I think he'd have been better at... I'm sorry, we'll talk about Sam Burgess again. We'll talk about Bath again in a minute. But I think he'd have have been better at six because at six, you're not as positionally defined. You don't have to hold your position as much like you do Mm. at 12 and defensively and structurally. At six, you actually can go looking for the ball. And yeah. you can and you're roam always around kind of close a little bit the ball. Yeah. You're always close to the ball and you can always be hitting somebody or doing something. <coughs> yeah. Apart from when you stood waiting for a scrum to be formed, that's a different argument. But that's the other yeah. thing. I think his body language is terrible at 12 because he just didn't get the ball enough. But anyway, we've done mm. this thousands of times. So yeah. if you look at that, yeah, your point, good team. Yeah, and also not just the, the team that was in the Premiership final. Like Weirdly, so good was that Bath side, they didn't even need Gavin Henson that day, who... Had been was fucking excellent for a ten and twelve in that game that that Sam Burgess's first game. Yeah, Gavin Henson kicked about fucking eighteen points to win the game at ten because he was being he was that it was that sort of two year period where he had that year at Bath and that year at Bristol where he was basically just like yeah I'm just going to remind people that I'm Gavin Henson when I feel like it. (laughs) And so yeah, and so they had Gavin Henson. They had fucking they had Charlie Ewells. Not even in the match day twenty two, Ollie Woodburn was playing for Bath at that point. Um, Ollie Devoto was just coming through. Ollie Devoto was just coming Carl through. Carl Ferns you know. was still there, obviously, before he very vocally said that they kicked me out because <laughs> of Sam fucking Burgess. He didn't quite say that, but <laughs> And yeah, it it you look at that Bath team and you think, fuck me, that's a good deep squad. That was basically everything that, you know, Bruce Craig's millions had kind of supposed to have built and they got to where they should have been and then they just did it and then just I honestly feel like the fallout from the Burgess thing was must have been hugely damaging to that squad from a sort of you know just flack they were getting loads of players had so many problems with injuries Anthony Watson Jonathan Joseph you know it's uh, but they've never they've never got close to recapturing it since. It's about the, the, the Irish team we just talked about, isn't it? You, you assume that that you know development continues, and that's and it doesn't more often than not, really. And that's why I suppose, as much as we don't like Saracens, it's testament to Saracens that they did just keep building. And that isn't yeah. all about the salary cap stuff. It isn't. You know, it's they did just have a way to keep building. And Leicester, yeah, we did. talked about. You know, mm. well, it's, it's interesting you, you speak about kind of teams that built. And kind of another underachieving team that we kind of thought about was kind of Glasgow over the last decade mm. in the Pro 14, where, you know, between 2009 and 2019, right, Glasgow only missed out on the playoffs twice. And, of course, they won it in 2014, but they've also lost two finals, five semifinals, and four out of those five times they actually lost the semi. They ended up losing to the team that would eventually win it. But, like... What I really found interesting about Glasgow in that sort of before they won it in 2014 was that they finished fourth, third, second. That's, when they that's the remarkable, final. isn't it? And then and then they won and then they won it in 2014. And it's like that's what you call gradual steady. That is what you call incremental gains. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, but as you say, that sustaining it is the because then you know. For nine times out of ten for the last decade, they've had a one in four chance of winning the Pro 14, and they have, they've only won it once. Like that's the definition to me of a Neely team, even though they've won it once. Like they've had so many opportunities to really kind of to kick on and build a bit of a sort of 
Leinster slash Saracen slash Leicester esque dynasty. But and it's on that they've never. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think if you don't have the playoffs, it's much easier to be a dynasty team. Because yes, over a season, the, 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 the team that wins the league tends to be the best team in the league. But winning the grand final isn't necessarily about being the best team in the league, which sounds ridiculous because obviously if, whoever wins the grand final and goes to the playoff is a fucking good team. But I think, you know, Wasps were kind of masters at timing their run. Yeah. They, under Edwards, you know, they used to time their run mm. perfectly to sort of be ready for a final sort of thing. Um, so I think and it's yeah, become even, because at... ultimately it becomes on any given Sunday, doesn't it? It becomes on any given yeah. Sunday because it's just one yeah, well, game it, it, at the end it's of the win, day. It's win or go home, isn't it? And, you know, you look at and you look at the Glasgow teams in this era and you're thinking, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot, there's so much quality and there's so much talent there and so much of it is still there, to be yeah. fair. But like, you know, in... You know they've got Stuart Hogg, they've got Tommy Seymour, they've got Sean Maitland at this point in 2013-14. They've got Sean Lamont, they've got Lee Jones, they've got fucking Richie Vernon, Alex Dunbar, Mark Bennett, Peter Horn, Rory Jackson, Duncan Weir. You know it's uh, Matawalu, Custer, Josh Strauss, Ryan Wilson. Like I mean, Johnny there's some Gray, bad in what you define it as great there, but in terms yeah, but of a, like, in a terms of a good squad, domestic depth, squad, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 you know, locks Johnny Gray and fucking Nakarawa with Al Kellogg and Tim Swinson on the bench. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad at all, though. <laughs> you know, it's not brilliant in in the I'm front. Not going to win a World and, Cup with it, but not you're asking for that, yeah. But no, and then and you know, and in the year they won it, that that squad was basically the same as well you know they they didn't lose players they kept that sort of core of of really kind of important kind of core of young scottish players that have come through there like finn you know like seymour hogg you know mark mm. bennett they they're johnny gray as well you know and players that they'd unearthed and turned into fucking world beaters like nakawara but and it, it's really interesting to see kind of how in that sort of little kind of five or six years since they've won it, like the core of that team has started to break up now, don't get me wrong. But, you know, they've replaced it with, you know, some fucking good players, you know, your, your Ali Prices, you know, the Xander Fagus, Nick Grigg, you know, players that are are good and, and, and kind of, I've got loads of potential, but it's like, did they have that moment that was that sort of, but I say they had that moment. They got to a fucking pro 14 final last year. Mm. You know, they're still a really good team, but there just seems to like transferring this brilliant sort of squad of players that they've got. And it is a squad, you know, just seems to be slightly, I don't know. It's part of it. It's just like, they've just got the misfortune of having fucking Leinster. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually on the other side, you know, they've lost. I think it was like five of their fucking defeats in semi-finals or finals have been to Leinster. It's like, it's like they just must be fucking sick of seeing those guys. But I think you you, you can easily say, oh, it's a shame with Leinster. But actually, I think it also taps into a fundamental issue. And I think, and this is not to do them down, but I think if you look at that Glasgow squad, and this is true for a lot of teams that don't quite make it, there's there's a lot of people who in the team who individually do a lot of things well, but don't mm. do enough things exceptionally. There's not yeah. a core of people who do that, you know. So actually, 
I mean, Stuart Hogg does things exceptionally when he was there. Yeah. Finn Russell can so do things Finn. exceptionally. Yeah. But a lot of the other names you list off, they do things well. They've got they've got whole games. Mm. And even Saracens, who are not that flashy, do have people who do things exceptionally. Yeah, they do. And they've got... That's the thing. Their first 15 is loaded with people that do... Like, their bench has a lot, you know, more of those players that are just like, they're very, very good players. Yeah, Jackson but, Ray types, yeah. Yeah, but the bulk of their first 15 are players that do things exceptionally. Yes. Yeah, And that's, that's hard. And and you've got, and you look at Leinster and you just go, yeah, fair enough. It's the same, you yeah, know. Exactly. And, the, yeah, exactly. And that's, that is the kind of the rub with that, isn't it? And, you, you know, and it's interesting the sort of, the, the transfer from the was it is it the the was it Sean Lanini who was the coach before Townsend? Don't remember. Yes, yeah, it was. I just checked. Like, obviously, there was a huge kind of sea change when Townsend comes on and comes in, and like, I don't. And then obviously that's been continued since he sort of left and moved to Scotland. But like, it's 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 always to Glasgow's credit that they've built this thing that has become a competitor and you know they weren't you know glasgow were basically a fucking you know a very you know middle of the road team until this last decade mm. and in that time they've built you know i don't want to call it a dynasty because they've no. only won things once but they've built an, they've harnessed an what's in within their power and created yeah. something consistently very st- good haven't they yeah but it's <laughs> it's still just you know falling just a little tiny bit too short for, because you know, they're a near and it team. must fr- and it must frustrate the piss out of you if you're a Glasgow fan to sort of lose two finals to to lose in the semi-finals so many you know five times like everyone knows when it, you know when you're in professional sport like your window for being good at stuff is is very small and most teams will revert to not being brilliant at some point and to sort of look at this huge sort of decade that you've had of success and just think oh, we could have won more though that would bother me and my teams are all so shit I never Europe. get anywhere near that so I, <laughs> I don't know that would seem like winning to me but uh, yeah so there you go Glasgow another nearly team that's, that the thing, was... like, that's the thing compared to where they were before where they were sort of you know a, a perennial kind of mid-table team that never did anything do Glasgow fans look at the last decade and think fuck me we've never had it so good this is brilliant that's the other thing, because a lot of people will probably write to this and go, you put loads of teams in that won stuff, so they're not nearly teams. Are you fucking stupid, sort of thing? And to be honest, that's a justifiable argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, you know, they're just things that stood out to us. So that's number three, which is Ospreys. No, it isn't. Number three was Glasgow. Yes. Do you want to do Ospreys now, or do you want to save the pain until a bit well, later on? Well, speaking of the teams that kind of felt like, if we're going to talk about massive underachievers, like... And teams that that won stuff but should have won more, you know, the Ospreys in the Galactico era are, for, you know, for me, and particularly in the Heineken Cup and in Europe, it's not just such a case of them being fucking nearly men's. This rank underachievers, like even when they were winning the Celtic League or the Magnus or whatever it was on the reg, and boasted, let's be honest, one of the deepest and most star-studded squads on the planet, they've never they never won a quarterfinal. They never went beyond the quarterfinal. They only fucking made three quarterfinals in that whole Galactico era. And like now, I look back on that time as the golden era <laughs> compared to fucking what we've got now. But what was like, a typical Galactico team? Have you got one there? Well, well, I mean, the 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 one I want to talk about 
as the as the real one that fucking bothers me to my core to this day is 2010 in the Heineken Cup where the Ospreys um they qualified for the quarterfinals as best runner up as they always did um <laughs> if um they never won a pool um and they faced a tricky trip to Biarritz uh, in the quarters. Now, Biarritz, good team at this point, like Yashvili, Haran Ordeki, Wenceslas Lore, Ian Balshaw, uh, um, uh, Gwenya. Um, but they weren't to lose. They weren't Stade Francais. They were good. They were beatable. Certainly, this Ospreys team, fuck me, right? The starting 15 against Biarritz in the quarterfinal of the 2010 Heineken Cup, right? Lee Byrne. Paul, ja- Paul James, right, Welsh on. international. Hugh Bennett, Welsh international. Adam Jones, Welsh International and Lion. Alan Wynne Jones, Welsh International and Lion. John Thomas, Welsh International. Jerry Collins, All Black. Marty Holler, All Black. Ryan Jones, Welsh International Captain and Lion. Uh, Mike Phillips, Welsh International and Lion. Dan Bigger, just a Welsh International at that point. Uh, James Hook, Welsh International and Lion. Andrew Bishop, Welsh International. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised at that. Um, <laughs> Shane Williams, Welsh International Lion and World Player of the Year. Uh, and then uh, Tommy Bow on the other side, Irish International and Lion. And Lee Byrne, Welsh International Lion. And then on the bench, you had Ian Goff, Welsh International, Craig Mitchell, Welsh International, Sonny Parker, Welsh International, Philo Tiatia, All Black, Nicky Walker, Scottish International. Like, that is that a team, fucking good squad. <laughs> Jesus honestly, Christ. And that was a team that would do something amazing that season in that they'd go to the RDS for the first ever Magnus League Grand Final and beat Leinster in Dublin, uh, which nobody did. Yes. But in Europe, something didn't work, man. And you look at that team, and like, they, they should have been. And the, the reason that this year as a Neely team bothers the fuck out of me is because, like, because they... The wheels came off almost instantly in this game, right? Like, in Gwen, like Shane showed in Gwenya the outside, which, as anybody remembers, fucking in Gwen, that was a terrible idea because he's one of the fastest players I've ever seen. He hit the afterburners, he scored from seventy meters, but like we didn't even panic, man. Like we, Lieburn scored, Ryan Jones scored, Nicky Walker scored. Remember him? Um, and then in a dying seconds, right. The Ospreys are camped in the beer. It's 22. They're patiently, they're doing the monster thing. They're fucking going. They, they, it's 29, 28 to beer it to this point, right? They're going through the phases. And then Yashvili flies up from an offside position, slaps the ball out of Mike Phillips's hands, right? Two penalties there. <laughs> Two yards offside. Intentional knock-on. George Clancy says, knock-on. Dan Bigger doesn't hear him. Assumes assumes the arm out means a penalty advantage, goes for a speculative drop goal, and then is astonished when George Clancy <laughs> blows up for full time at the end of the game. Um, and he was devastating because if the Ospreys had won that game, right, they'd have a home semi-final against Munster, who they beat home and away that season in the league and then beat 45-10 at the Liberty in the Magnus League semi-final. And then they'd have to go to Paris to play Toulouse. I mean, whatever. They might well have lost to lose, but like, I weirdly I had a, a, a Twitter chat with Mark Robson, the commentator. All right. Um, <laughs> he said that he did a game with Shane just before the lockdown, and he mentioned this game, and Shane basically said it still bothers him <laughs> this game and this. I think that, every sports person has that, don't they? they have that one yeah. moment where they, they, they still I've wake up and sweat so- about it, you know. 
like I've heard several Ospreys players from this team just go, that was the year that we really thought that we were going to we we absolutely had the squad to win the Heineken Cup and we thought we were going to win the Heineken Cup that year. And that game is still like the sort of tipping point between the Ospreys doing something becoming a proper European force and becoming a team that sort of has the attraction and pedigree of the big teams that have won the fucking Heineken Cup and what's happened since instead. And like it's it's, it's as a fan, it just gnaws at me to this day that like yeah, particularly, the, particularly because about, it was a bad ref decision, but it's like an interesting point we should have won that game anyway. About aura, isn't it? You know, if you've won a Heineken Cup, especially if you've won a couple, there is, you know, Toulouse, Leinster, yeah, Monster, you become the Saracens. Then. There's an aura, you know, you know, there's something about, and I don't know, I don't know if it's bollocks really, but there is something that comes with it. There's a weight that comes with it, isn't there? Yeah. Which if you, and, and, yeah, interesting. It, and interesting, like that point, I think your point you're making there is about if you had won that one. Yeah. Then that weight comes with you in terms yeah. of signings, in terms of when you turn up to play people. And to, to be honest, investment, you, to, everything changes, yeah, doesn't it? And without wishing to sort of be too kind of, you know, macro about it, like kind of Wales, Wales's relationship with fucking regional rugby, you know, like Maybe. the Ospreys were, you know, Wales's most successful region. They remain Wales's most successful region. But at that point, if. Wales have a team that wins the Heineken Cup, then all of a sudden does that add legitim- a, a level of legitimacy to regional rugby that, you know, that Munster and Leinster and Ulster winning the Heineken Cup did to provincial rugby in Ireland, you know, because it showed that, you know, this model works because it enables us to win the big, you know, to show that we're the best in Europe in a way that, you know winning the Pro 14, winning the Magnus League, whatever, just kind of never will. Mm. Especially because Heineken Cup was on Sky at that point. You know, it was like the big... Yes. Yeah. I, I, there's so There are so many things that bug me about that game, but as a missed opportunity, as an Ospreys fan, it is, it's, it's pretty hard to get over, to be honest. Speaking of not winning the Heineken Cup, <laughs> let's yes. move on to uh, number... Number five, which I'm, we'll, we'll cross the sea south of, of mm. Ospreys and go to Claremont, <laughs> or one for all, as we were known as before, but we all know it's the same team. Claremont, man, imagine being a Claremont fan. At least, well, deep, at thing. least deep down, as a as the team like the Ospreys, you know you're up against it a bit in some ways, yeah. don't you? You know that actually, awesome. there's only so much money, and there's only so much exposure. Yeah. Also, we won more, we won more shit in that. In the 15 years that the Ospreys have existed, than Claremont did in their first 100 years. Amazing. Despite have, have, yeah, 100 years to win their first French title in 2010. And in that time, they had 10 runners up medals, which means that on average, once a decade, like a new group of fans had their hopes got up and then had them cruelly dashed. <laughs> so, yeah, as you said, um, it, was, it was mixed to low fortunes until. Until Big Vern turns up and makes it yeah. very clear that he will tolerate zero percent fucking about, yeah, from two thousand and six onwards. Yeah, but there's something extra tragic and awful about Claremont in Europe in the two thousand and ten because, like, the monkey. Like I said, we, they'd won the league in two thousand and ten, right? The monkey was off their backs. Well, let's not forget that before that, two thousand and seven, they lost the final to Stad. 
2008, they lost the final to Toulouse. And 2009, they lost the top 14 final to Perpignan. So 2010, they were... (laughs) Interestingly, they won a Challenge Cup amidst all of that. Yes. And there's something about nearly teams who somehow managed to pick up... Because London Irish picked up a Challenge Cup as well in the midst of all their stuff. Yeah. It it seems like it's a hallmark of nearly teams that they can somehow pick up a Challenge Cup in the midst of never winning what they actually want to win. Yeah. But anyway, like, yeah, they lost. But yeah, so Claremont would lose three Heineken Cup, Champions Cup, as they became finals in five years, and on all three occasions, you know, this grand fucking old name of European rugby would lose a European final to some nouveau riche fucking upstart, <laughs> either in the shape of Toulon twice or Saracens once, or they'd lose um, to fucking Leinster in some semi-final or other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred percent. It's let's but let's like between two thousand and ten and two thousand and seventeen, let's not beat around the bush here. Claremont, absolutely one of the two or three best, most talented teams in Europe and probably the most fun to watch. And the most like, like everything about common... their stadium and their match day experience looks to be the most it's wonderful just... thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yet every time they ended up just basically getting beaten by a bigger boy. <laughs> <laughs> like but but like for me the 2015 team, the lost to uh, Toulon to in the Toulon final, and Stad in the top 14 the ab- final as well, is the absolute fucking thigh-rubbingly good. Yes, please, I would watch this team play rugby f- until the end of time. So, Nick Abendon at the fullback, Nakatathi and Nalaga as the wings, John Davis and Wesley Fofana, oof, as your centre <laughs> partnership. And Morgan Power and Cami Lopez to add a bit of weird sort of organisation mixed with fucking insanity and the halfbacks. The problem was that they basically had the fucking Avengers Toulon pack against them that day, which had fucking Ali Williams, Bacchus Butter, Carl Heyman, Gillian Garrado, Steph Armitage and Juan Smith in it. And yeah. also had peak Lee Halfpenny just spanking it over seven of nine kicks of goal. <laughs> for, you know, I mean, what do you do? But you just and but they played all. I remember they played all the fucking rugby that day, and they played some absolutely sensational stuff as they always did and they always would. And yeah, yet, the it's 20, never enough. When they lost the twenty seventeen final to Saracens, there was a. Oh, that was a end. horrible. They game. zoomed right that... in on a woman's face who had like a, a face painted yellow and blue, and she had these big brown eyes, and there were tears rolling down her cheeks. I was like, <laughs> "Fucking hell!" Honestly, what must <laughs> it be like? You know what? I mean, I support teams that are terrible, so when we lose, I find it slightly amusing and, t- <laughs> and completely typical. I mean, it, it pisses me right off, but I don't expect anything. But imagine being a Claremont fan because you must know deep down that you should that win really regularly. Good. Be yeah. winning, yeah. This was the thing it's that like the Dutch in football, you know. It's yeah, like this fucking was the thing that, that bothered me about the Galacticos era at the Ospreys because I looked at us against any other team in Europe and I went, oh, "I've probably got a better squad than them." <laughs> like, oh, we've got more, pl- we've got better players, and yet we can't win any. It's just, it absolutely breaks me. And it, it's a horrible sensation to know that you should be better than you are on the field. And now it's not a problem, obviously, as an Ospreys fan. Yeah, you but, just become resigned to it after a while, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of coming, becoming resigned to it, uh, should we talk about Gloucester in the 2000s? <laughs> <laughs> We've held off for long club. enough. 
Has any club had its endemic mental fragilities exposed more ruthlessly than Gloucester in the first decade or so after the Premiership introduced playoffs? Like... Let me tell you a story, Josh. <laughs> Back in 1995-96, right, this game of ours called rugby became a professional venture and all yes, across the land, old men in dinner suits cried salt tears that the wrong type of people <laughs> would start to have an influence over their beloved fiefdom of a game. One yep. such wrong type of person rocked up in Gloucester and he was called Tom Walkinshaw and he had a fuckload of money. <laughs> and he bought a little West Country kingdom of his own and he wanted to nothing more than to vanquish the record of those bastards down the A46. <laughs> and oh, how they tried. And oh, God, oh Lord, how they failed. <laughs> I mean, they did win, to be fair, you know, a they won the Gen Premiership. Cup. They won, they, and they won the Premiership in 2002, right, against the backdrop of being wildly entertaining. But even, and you can look at the match reports for when they beat Bristol in that final, <laughs> all of the match reports are going, Gloucester have won. Uh, they might go bust tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know if they can afford, you know. <laughs> and like, it was ne- the, there was never a moment, I think, as a Gloucester fan in the 2000s where things were entirely correct. So, like, not only did they didn't go bust, they didn't break up that squad. It continued to be wildly entertaining and really good. But between 2002 and 2011, right, they'd make the playoffs five times. They topped the table three times and they won zero titles. They made two finals, right? And they didn't just lose. They got fucking battered in both of them. They In 2003, they lost 39-3 in the final to Warren Gatton's Wasps, despite finishing on 82 points in the actual table at the end of the season, which was 15 points ahead of Wasps, who were in second. And they only lost three games all season, and then they rock up to fucking Twickenham and get their fucking pants pulled down. And then 2007, they get marmalised by Leicester 44-16, and then again lost at Leicester at home. Basically, Leicester are the breaker of everyone's dreams in the sort of... Yeah. Between 2005 and 2015. But, like, no wonder Gloucester fans are fucking mental. Point of order, they, didn't such a the, they didn't win the Premiership in 2002. Leicester did. They, ne- they haven't won a fucking thing. They won the Power Gen Cup in 2002. Oh, the Power Gen Cup, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so again, and, they, and again, they managed to scatter in a Challenge Cup win here and there, as all teams that can't yeah. win what they want to win managed to do. So, they were third in 2000, as you said, lost the semis. Power Gen Cup in 2003. It's worthwhile just, just reading out the team from 2003. Tina Delport, Garvey, mm. Terry Fanalua, Henry Paul, James Simpson Daniel, Ludovic Mercier, Andy Gomesall, Trevor Woodman, probably not long just before the World Cup before he had to retire not long afterwards, Olivier Psychopath Azam, Deacon, Eustace, Fiddler, Burr's captain, Andy Hazel, and Jamie Forrester was that was was that team that was beat Northampton in that team. final. Good team. But as you said, that team, that season, that 2003 season, oh my God, they topped the league 18 points clear of Wasps. Yeah, 82 points there. fucking points clear of Wasps. Yeah. And then and randomly in that year, it was a one-off grand final. Yes, there was no playoff. Straight into this one game. Yeah. So you've managed to do a season and win was by there, 18... Was there a second and third... Was there? Was that the weird year where there was like a second and third playoff to see who, went, who met Gloucester in the final or something? I can't remember. There was one, but they had there was one, one game year where they did you that. You went straight to the final, was it? 
So, but basically, you, you do an entire season and win by 18 points, which, let's be honest, demonstrates you're quite clearly the best team in <laughs> the, the best land. Best team, yeah, by some distance. And then, and then, then Warren, a... Gatland, Warren Gatland, Lawrence Denalio, and his band of nasty boys. <laughs> they fucking them hammered in... them as well. Absolutely, Absolutely hammered them. Imagine how much inside Warren Gatland enjoyed that. Oh, him and, him, fan, him and Sean Edwards having a bit of a sit down afterwards. Yeah, it's like this daring do fucking swashbuckling, brilliant attacking team, and then Warren and his big lads, a big bunch of lads, just comes on and just go like, "We're just going to reduce this lot to a fine paste," <laughs> including their emotions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, is I mean, it's it's tough, isn't it? I I, I genuinely, I, I think of all of the kind of nearly teams that we're going to talk about in this. Because oh, like, it goes on no, as well, doesn't it? The way it remains to this day, you know, Gloucester have constantly found a way to to lose. You know, the, even the even the Challenge Cup. You know, when the one against Cardiff a few years ago. You know, we'll come, come to that later on. But they managed game. to win a Challenge Cup in two thousand and six in the one year they didn't make the playoffs. It's almost like the Challenge <laughs> yeah. Cup is such a weird competition. But um, so two thousand and seven, as you've mentioned, they were first in the league again. They they beat Saracens 50 points to nine in the semi-final. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's on fucking now, lads, let me tell you. And yeah. then, like I said, they got fucking... Once again, they managed to lose to Leicester in the final. It's just, I mean, honestly, if I was a Gloucester they got battered, fan, I was that, that was once. You mentioned the score. That one was 44-12 or something, that one. Uh, the Leicester final was 44-16, fucking yeah. Fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> And then the seventeen-year-old like... Ben Youngs played in that game. He came off the mm. bench. Seventeen-year-old Ben Youngs. And then a year later, they lost. They had Leicester in the semi-finals at home, <laughs> as they had the. They were they finished second in the league, and they had third place Leicester in the. Well, they 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 were top. They were they top in the place. league in two thousand. Yeah, they were top. Yeah. They were top. They had fourth place Leicester at home. And I, I vividly remember because I was I was living with my housemate Craig at this point, who's a died in the world Gloucester fan, uh, long suffering, obviously. I remember him just saying, "We got it, you know, at, at our place this year, surely." And they lost twenty six twenty five at home, thanks <laughs> to a seventy eighth minute drop goal from that big fat slap headed twat Andy Goode <laughs> in full fucking gloves <laughs> fucking period as well. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's cruel, isn't it? It is cruel. That fucking king's home as well. Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Like honestly, I don't understand how Gloucester fans still do it. Again, that team in two thousand and eight, the two teams actually Gloucester was Willie Walker at fullback, Bolshaw, James Simpson, Daniel, Anthony Allen, Leslie Vinicolo, Ryan Lamb, who was the coming, really the coming. He thing, was the yeah. coming thing, yeah. Rory Lawson, Wood, Titterell. Nieto, Bortolami, Brown, Strokosh, and Gera and Gareth Delve. Luke Narraway and Gareth Cooper on the bench. Is that Gareth? No, it's not Gareth Cooper. No, he was at Bath then. Sorry, it's a different Cooper. Um, no, I think it was that Gareth Cooper. He was a Gloucester at that point. Yeah, yeah. Point. yeah, uh, yeah. And then Leicester, of course, is Jordan Murphy, Tom Vandal, Dan Hipkiss, Aaron Major, <laughs> Tuolangi. This is Tuolangi fucking murdered him that day. Alessandro yeah, Tuolangi fucking murdered him. He was horrible that day. Um, Good Harry Ellis, Stankovic, you remember him? Oh, fuck yeah. Davis White, Wenzel, Kay, Martin Corrie, Herring, and Jordan Crane. What? It's still there. Um, <laughs> it is again. 
And then, of course, and so it went on and it went on and it went on. And as you already mentioned, the latest tragedy scoreline was going all the way to fucking Spain to lose by a point to Cardiff Blues. 31-30 in the Challenge having Cup final. absolutely been in a Sajan chair for <laughs> that internet and absolutely looking like they put the game to bed. And then, oh, who was it who fucking scored for Cardiff? I'm going to have to look this up. I'm, every Cardiff fan is screaming because yeah. he came on. He came on as an injury sub. He wasn't even a fucking winger. <laughs> and he scored an absolute beaut of a try. Uh, in, in, in bloody Bilbao. Oh, it was Garen Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Williams basically dribbled, you know, dribbled the ball like it was a, he was playing football in Bilbao. Um, and yeah, Garen Smith. Fucking hell. And then Gareth Anscombe smacks over a, a penalty in the dying seconds and they lose. Is it? It's not quite as bad as Harlequins shitting the bed in the Chinese Cup final when what's-his-face booted the ball away for no apparent reason. Oh, God, uh, Bottica, Ben Bottica. Yes, Ben Bottica. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, what What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, so there you go. I, you know, we could spend probably three episodes on Gloucester. Gloucester fans out there would be glad to know that we're not doing that. No, no. <laughs> but let, never let it be said, right, that I, I'm going to I fucking love Gloucester. And I love everything I've about them because they're right in my fucking tragic wheelhouse, basically, <laughs> of, of people who stick at it. Actually, no, you, you're not really in my wheelhouse because you've actually been good for a period of time. But uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, they were favourites for a good a good five-year period. It wasn't for those... Valiant losers, aren't they? Fucking Leicester, man. Yeah. Anyway, finally, our seventh of our rugby seven is Munster in Europe up until 2006. Yes. And like, what's really interesting, I think, about Munster is that, like, you can see, you know, we were talking a bit about Glasgow, about kind of gradually kind of improving and learning. Mm. Like, every one of the horrendous things that Munster went through in the five years between (laughs) 2000 and 2006. Kind of, you can see it, like, because they lose by Saints. To Saints by a point in the 2000 final. What but a then that match was... that was, by the way. Christ that almighty. <laughs> but then that <laughs> year was was also important because they win out in Toulouse. They get a big win out in Toulouse and they sort of smash the aura of going and playing French teams in France, which comes back. And and then, obviously, 2001 against Stade in Paris, they have that disallowed, <laughs> disallowed try. Then they have the fucking... They get that the ball final had never against... gone dead, by the way. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, like they have, obviously the hand of back. Two thousand two, um, three words, hand of back. Yeah, is that and to both... be honest? Before you move on, is that the greatest piece of acceptable shithousery in the history of the sport of rugby union? Uh, absolutely, I is, think yeah. it probably I mean, I'm is. Sh- I'm sure it's not acceptable if you are from months, but it is objectively. But, it's it, acceptable. Yeah, it's not. Do- it's not doing anything nasty. It's just cheating with absolute aplomb, and you've yes. got to give it to him. Um. Yeah, and that's sort of these two, those both of those things, the disallowed try and the hand of back basically teaches them like you can't control everything in matches because some things will just so don't put yourself in that fucking position. 
and then the next season they had that miracle match against Gloucester in the where yeah, they, they had to, to win by seventeen points, like 20, or something. Or something twenty something points, yeah. and get a bonus point, and basically they just fucking smashed it and got to the quarterfinals. But like, like over these five years, they log in all of this disappointment <laughs> and this mental hurt and misfortune, so that when they get to the final against um, against Biarritz, they don't flinch when Sorelli Bobo scores that really dodgy early try. And they don't flinch when Yashvili starts fucking smacking over penalties, and they just hold on and they they learn how to Munster. You know, everybody talks about Munster doing what Munster did in you know the classic sort of Munster running out the clock in the dying seconds of a Heineken Cup final, which they did twice. You know, that's where they learn all this stuff, and it's really it's it's, it's so I guess it's kind of like a nearly team that ultimately comes good because they could have been, you know. That could have been it for me, you know, the amount of fucking disappointments that they had and the amount of fucking horrible sort of injustices that they had to suffer through losing two finals. And they don't, you know, that could have never been rectified for Munster, but they did. And they kind of used it all in a way that, that ultimately made them not sort of nearly men, I guess. Indeed. And, you have to get a feeling after every single thing that they lost, they must have gone, well, that can't happen again. <laughs> so put that behind you. So like, you know, yeah. losing by a point, losing the semi to start after a disallowed try, hand it back, that can't happen again. Semi against yeah. to lose, losing by a point again. Well, fucking hell, yeah. that's happened again, but surely it can't happen again. Then <laughs> 2004, losing the semi to Wasps, who scored two tries in injury time in 2004 yeah. Yeah. to win yeah. that game. Then they lose to Breeritz in the in the Heineken Cup quarter again in the first games we played in Spain. Bit of trivia there. And then, as you say, <laughs> we finally get to 2006 where they win in Cardiff because they think that none of this can happen again. Literally, yeah. everything bad that can happen has happened. Yeah, and I, I genuinely feel like that was the kind of that's how they they developed that monster mindset of just like whatever happens, we're not going to be phased by it. We're just going to keep fucking grinding it out because, as you say, like so much stuff had happened. They'd had to learn so many horrible. And it's when lessons. you look back on it. I never liked Munster much, and and no. that kind of strange sense of entitlement that's that's probably painted on them rather than them themselves. Mm. I think it's when you look back at the history of this, and actually you start to get more of a soft spot for them. Actually, that fucking hell, they had a lot to put up with, didn't they? <laughs> I think that was the thing, and I think what built the Munster legend, you know, in a, as you know, a European force, and made them sort of. And and you're right that it is kind of, um, it, they they are a hard team to like these days from a neutral point of view. But I think a lot of that does come from the media, and particularly comes from sort of pundits, and particularly Sky Sports mm. in the Heineken when they still had the Heineken Cup, just used to get such a froth about Munster because of all of this yeah, sort of yeah, drama yeah, yeah, that yeah. they'd experienced, both good and bad. And the the hashtag narrative that they had, um, that you know, that they'd gone on such a roller coaster ride to get to 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 where they they ended up. But like, yeah, like I I I never really liked Munster, but I was in Cardiff for the two thousand and eight final hmm. when they beat Toulouse, and I totally got fucking swept up in it, like. I couldn't give a fuck about like you know Munster are a rival team as far as I was concerned certainly at that point but that day in Cardiff 
I walked into Cardiff a normal human being that didn't really give a fuck either way, and I walked out of Cardiff a very drunk man wearing a Munster shirt. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's... And you could see, you know, when they got to that second final, just how much all of the shit that they'd been through kind of had affected Munster fans and it had sort of created this huge sort of sense of, like, deep... Even after they'd won it, this deep foreboding that something was going to happen again. Hmm. And, and you know, it's it's... For all of the talk of kind of like we were saying earlier about the Ospreys, kind of like mentally about how it sort of changes your mindset and all this sort of stuff. But I do think that like that might be true of the players. I don't think it's ever true of the fans. Like, yeah, you'll never you'll never forget all the times that you nearly won something and missed out on it, no matter how many times you win something. But it's that's just 2006 final again, just to, just because we like to dip back into this. Let's just quickly run through the teams. Uh, mm. It was Beeritz versus Munster. It's a shame Beeritz have kind of gone down the shitter because you know they were a nice team to have around from a nice part. Oh, of yeah, France it's nice, nice to have. Yeah, it's nice to have a bit of Catalan sort of. That isn't the horrible Catalan that signed, you know, questionable yeah. people. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> the Beeritz team was actually it's Basque. Sorry, it's not Catalan. Of course, but... it is. It's Basque. Fuck me. Yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Nicola Brusque at fullback, John Baptiste Gobelet on the wing. Philippe Bidabe, Damien Try, Sorelli Bobo on the wing, as you mentioned, Julian Peyrelong at 10, Yashvili at 9, Thomas Lievremont, not the mad one, the other Lievremont at 8, Aaron Ordeke at 7, Betson at 6, that's a nice back row, isn't it? Um, David Cousin and Jerome Tion in, in the lock, Census Johnson at prop, Benoit August at hooker, and Petru Balan, the Romanian at loose who I don't actually remember. A young Thierry Dussetoir on the bench. Um, yes. I forget that he started at Beerens. Yeah. I just always assumed he was to lose forever. You just yeah. assume he emerges as a perfect rugby specimen out of some cocoon somewhere. Um, Basically, yeah. And then the Monster team, um, genuinely surprised that I, there was a couple of names that I had to kind of wrap my brain to remember. For example, at fullback, Sean Payne. You know, I, didn't have, yeah. I don't have a great memory of him. I don't have a great deal of memory of him either. Anthony Horgan at 14, John Kelly at outside centre, Trevor Halstead at inside centre, Ian Dowling on the wing, O'Gara and Stringer, of course. And yeah. then prop Marcus Horan, Jerry Flannery, John, big bull John Hayes, Donna Crow Callahan, <laughs> Paul O'Connell, Dennis Lee, me, David Wallace and Anthony Foley in the back row. And in the back row, and that's it. Uh, Alan yeah. Quinlan's on the bench. As is Rob Henderson. As is Rob Henderson, yeah, the Tomas- fag end of Tomas- his career. O'Leary, remember him? I do remember Tomas O'Leary. He looked like a pickaxe. Yeah. <laughs> Such was his conk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. So that was that's our rugby seven of sort of nearly teams that we enjoyed having a look back on. And I know that we asked for a few shit good memories from you about this, so we'll run through them quickly now before we finish. Uh, we've got uh, well, another stuff as well. Um Shit good. Parsley says that good is Genge as king of the union. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. A thousand oh, times, yes. 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 Pieface says, good Hadley Parks, a cracking player who's given everything to Wales and Scarlets, played a Rugby World Cup with broken bones, for Christ's sake. He says, but shit is the fact that the world rugby votes are done on population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matt, I mean, that, yeah. we, somewhere, somewhere, somebody knows who the new world rugby chairman is, and it's almost certainly Bill Beaumont, let's be honest. Two um, weeks they got to take. There's only 50 people. Yeah, voting. we don't find out for. Exactly. It's like if we can count like millions of votes in an election in like 12 hours, why does it take them two weeks to count 20? I mean, rugby votes? is a bit old school. Do they send the votes by Raven? Maybe, maybe, yeah. 
Um, Matt H says, God is the brass neck of NRL players in Australia, ignoring social distancing to muck around in the bush on dirt bikes and shooting guns and arguing that it was a cultural trip. trip. <laughs> and the NRL, man, it just never stops giving you this stuff, does it's it? It's so great, man. It's, if there's one thing that will get me into rugby league, it's genuinely more about the insanity of the NRL than it is about the game itself. They don't give I'm a pretty fuck. sure. <laughs> Uh, nearly teams-wise, Catalan Drag Queens Rugby League says that Australia 03 was a nearly team. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, Paul Roach said shit is every Leinster team until 2009 was a nearly team. Um, yeah, I suppose. Uh, mean Englishman says 2014 Bath. Yeah, we talked about them. He says developed yeah. a great attacking game. Burgess at six actually made use of his strengths, destroyed Tigers in the semi-final, then Farrell high-tackled Watson out in the final and we shat the bed. Next season, Burgess ran away and Mike Ford completely lost the plot. Yeah, we didn't cover that, did we? Ford did fucking lose yeah, the year after, didn't he? absolutely it? did. Um, where's the beef says shit? It's 2013-2017 Claremont. Yeah, we've covered them, mate. Oh, yes. Um, and what else have we got here? David Nichols says, can England in 1991 be a nearly team? As in nearly world champions, but bottled it. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I'd say so, definitely. They uh, changed, you know, they basically shat the bed about the All Blacks and changed all the play. Oh, if Australian. you are a subscriber, we have a 1991 World Cup episode we back do. there. Yeah. In the, in, the, uh, in the subscription only um, retro. Curtis Neese gets in touch. He says that shit is everything about the World Rugby Presidency debate, like choosing between death or firing by firing squad or drowning. <laughs> There's a question for you. Would you rather be drowned or firing squad? Firing squad every um, time for me. I feel drowning is quite peaceful, though. I don't know, though. Imagine sucking ice-cold water into your lungs. That must really hurt. Yeah, but then you get shot, the... <laughs> yeah, then you get the hypoxia thing, though, don't you, where oh, you just okay. feel really fucking giddy and delighted. Yeah. Oh, you got to see it. Patricia says, good supporting Munster the week of a European quarterfinal but shit is supporting Munster the week of a European semi-final. That's now, isn't it? Back yeah. Back then you're all right. <laughs> Back then you were fine. You got to finals and everything. You just lost You lost at some point. Yeah. Um, the, the One of the ones that we haven't talked about, because we didn't read, we talked mainly about clubs, not about internationals, but uh, James uh, Gautichet on Twitter says, uh, Ireland v New Zealand 2013 in Dublin. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, that game. Yes. Oh, uh, oh covered that as a... Autumn International. We did a Rugby 7 or Autumn, Inter- Autumn Internationals and we covered that game yes, on that. That's did, back there in the yeah. archive as well. Um, Patrick says shit is supporting Wales in semi-finals. Yeah. I'm just glad to get there. Would though, you call this year's Wales a nearly team? Um, I mean, I'm just, we should have got to the final because we probably should have beaten South Africa. Hmm. But then we probably would have lost to England, which would have been worse. So I'm kind of, I've kind of alright. 2011's the nearly team, isn't it? Oh, big out of stuff. nowhere as well. Nobody expected yeah. it either. Um, Linda Mason says, "Finally, good is Shane Williams cycling for charity." Yes, she said, but I didn't want to see that back view of his white boxes. I can't get it out of my I head. Found, I found that a bit much. Yeah, I haven't seen this. I don't think I want <laughs> it's to. Basically, like Shane's been cycling using Zwift or whatever the fuck to you know for charity, which They're is great. It, but they? then, yeah. when he's finished, this, he finished it. I think he finished it this morning, um, or maybe yesterday. I don't know. And then he posted a photo of himself, basically wearing nothing but some very tight white boxer shorts from behind, sitting on a on a saddle that is presumably quite sore at this point it was, it was just an unnecessary angle to be honest like 
I assume that he wanted to show the fact the screen that was in front of him that showed yes. how many miles he'd done, but all it actually showed was Shane Williams' sweaty white crack. <laughs> and you like Shane Williams, don't you? But even that's too much. It's just too much, isn't it? A bit much, to be honest, yeah. Well, Josh, that was thoroughly enjoyable 90 minutes or so. Absolutely. Um, so that's we've done that this week because we fancied a bit of a change and actually to do a bit of research and enjoy a bit of reading about rugby again. But I think that, that's far too much effort for every week. Oh, it's okay, geez. yeah. So we're going to downshift probably back into watching something stupid next week. So um, <laughs> we can t- yeah, Don't I send us like, serious suggestions because like... we want to laugh at things. So Yeah, exactly. We've, we've, we've been quite serious this week while also slightly making fun of teams that were a bit mental. Somebody suggested um, the documentary 15 on Amazon Prime. Which looks right. really worthy. Oh God, that's going to be easy. That's, so, I mean, so I reckon we should watch that. Yeah. <laughs> What's this documentary about then? Should it's we about tra- the game of rugby. So there'll be loads of really stuff about character building and. Oh God, and how it makes men of people. Fifteen beyond the try line. Is yes. that what it's called? Oh my God, that makes already makes me want to fucking drown myself. <laughs> as we've discussed, my preferred way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got three out of five on uh, IMDb, which I'll level with you is, uh, you know, is a lot worse than the Brighton Miracle. Yeah, I don't trust was. IMDb anymore I, in anything because eighty-three percent on on. A... No, actually, on, it, it's got four and a half out of five on uh, on Amazon Prime. So you know, it's honestly there's a lot of confirmation bias on Amazon Prime. The only people who'd watch that are people who want to be told how brilliant rugby is, <laughs> so they'll think it's, it's exactly brilliant. That. Yeah, it's it. Ah, uh, I mean, we'll see. We will see. That could be a candidate, though. Yeah. I mean, it, could, it promises captivating and rare insights from the likes of Prince Harry, Johnny Wilkinson, Dan oh. Carter, and Eddie Jones. Oh come on, we've got to <laughs> sign I up. I'm in. Let's We're in. Do it. So fifteen beyond the try line for next week, everyone. Yeah. How long's it on for? Uh, fuck knows. It's, it it better sorry. not be. You better, I'll have a look now. Can't be better more than an hour. Be, Can't be. It better not be a fucking 90 minutes. That's all I'm going to say. Let's see. Running time, running time. Come on. Why aren't you giving me a running time? Oh, my God. It's an hour and 27 minutes. <laughs> well, we'll do our best, ladies gentlemen. Join <laughs> in with us. So we'll, that's what we're doing next week. We've decided now. We're not going to change tackling. That's your whole work. Um Although I hate that fucking, we got any homework. No, yeah, I'm good. Just watch it if you want. Don't fucking watch it. Nobody's asked. One so, thing uh, we should watch at some point is uh, Richie McCaw chase, chasing great, which is also on Amazon Prime, which I watched it. on um, a plane back from Los Angeles. Weirdly, because it was on the plane, and I was just like, it's so weird that this is on a plane. I'm gonna have to just watch it. Um, and it just really does show that Richie McCaw is exactly as boring as as you always thought he was. Anyway. I just wanted so I can track how long he's had that haircut for. I reckon well, he's had it from a, at least 13 years old. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It was never anything longer than sort of, you know, half an inch on Slightly top. Slightly too long at the sides. Not <laughs> not tight enough at the sides. Not nearly tight enough. Right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Speaking of running Bye-bye. times, we're going to bugger off now. Speak to you soon. <laughs> Ta-ra, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. 
now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.